to Green Planet, Blue Planet podcast. I'm here today with Jay Nixon, who is an accomplished speaker, author, coach, and mentor. And his mission is to disrupt the health and fitness industry. Uh, welcome, Jay. Hey, thanks for having me, man. Yeah, I love being on your show and I love having conversations with you and, you know, jamming in the moment about what's real. Um, you have a beautiful book behind you for those that um, don't see it and listen to this on audio. It's called The Overweight Mind. I'd love to start with your with your writing and what yeah. you've created um, and the motivation of how and why you've created it. Do you want to take us on a little journey about the yeah. books you've written and like how that how that came to be in your life? Totally, totally. Um, yeah, so The Overweight Mind was my was my first book. I released it about five years ago. And just for anybody listening, like I am not someone who grew up thinking that I would write a book. Like um, I'm not um, author material, if you will. Um, but I was, I'm so passionate about helping people that I realized that it was something that I was almost like driven or had to do as an obligation. Um, so I started my weight loss, like kind of trying to helping people transform and lose weight. And I realized very early on that I was having a lot of success, but then I would see people like six, 12, 18 months later, and they were gaining the weight back at, at rapid rates. You know, some people were bigger than, than when they left me. And that just got me to thinking, um, there's, there's a missing link here, Jay. And I've always been like a really big proponent of personal development. I shouldn't say always. I started my kind of like personal development, psychology, mindset journey when I was about 25 years old. And so I realized like if I combined personal development, psychology, human psychology, why humans do what they do in the weight loss world, like that would be the missing link. And so The Overweight Mind was written with the sole purpose of uncovering the psychological reasons why people get stuck in their, in their weight loss journey. And so there's nothing in the book about food or exercise or any of those things. It's really just the, the psychological reasons on why humans do what they do and how they get stuck in different patterns of their lives in ways to overcome that. And so it's been mm. wildly successful because it's kind of, it was five years ago, it was a brand new twist that nobody was really combining personal development, human psychology and weight loss. They were just say, Hey, Julian, don't eat so much or go for a run or get this Fitbit or do all those things. And those worked momentarily, but they weren't long-term solutions. And so I kind of combined the two things and it was a wildly successful hit. And then I wrote another book two years after that called The Purpose of Pain, which is kind of my story of how I got into personal development and how I mm. kind of transitioned it from where I started as a little guy to where I am now at almost 50 years old. Yeah, tell us a bit more about that story. And I, I love what you're saying there about, you know, the tying together the psychology and the, the patterns yeah. that make us human. Because I think, you know, weight loss isn't really my my personal topic in, in the sense of like, it's not the place I'm in, right? Even though I yeah. think there's a lot of service to do to people who are um, desiring that outcome. But at the same time, I think there is a deeper psychological uh, brilliance in there and what you've created, right? Yeah, and that is it's way, it's way deeper. Body image or body picture. It's, it's about those human things that drive us, that help us. And I know that that's your mission, right? Disrupt, inspire, yeah. transform. Yeah. And I always tell people like weight loss is a side effect. Like I don't look at weight mm. loss as the, the thing that I do. Weight loss is really what happens when I get people to really uncover the reason that they're stuck and that reason. And the reason I wrote the second book is I, I, you know, as, as you get into things, you start 
you start uncovering like the real truths behind what's really going on. And the weight loss world as a whole, it's a lot of overwhelm and chaos and this diet and that diet and this pill and that pill. And what I realized is that all those were just like things to keep people confused or to keep people kind of blocked in really uncovering what was going on. And so that was the purpose behind the second book, The Purpose of Pain, is I realized that I was stuck in in a, in a portion of my own trauma for like 20 years of my life. And it wasn't until I started psychologically unraveling where I was and why I was there that my life turned around in all facets of better relationships, better health, better financial, you know, properties, like better everything. And so I just took that same principle and same psychology of how I transitioned my life and and realized that weight, being overweight was just a side effect of being stuck in a certain trauma. Like, cause everybody who came to me at first, they just say, Hey Jay, I want to lose 50 pounds. And they don't really talk about like how they got to where they are. But as as a human psychology freak at this stage of at that stage of my life, I started asking different questions than other weight loss coaches were asking. Like I cared less about what what they were eating and I cared more about why they were eating what they were eating. So I started asking questions that most people weren't used to getting asked, and through those conversations, I was uncovering that most people were stuck in some kind of trauma. And the weight gain was simply a side effect of not, I'm going to use the word properly, which is the completely wrong word, but not actively and or properly uncovering or healing from that trauma. Mm -hmm. And so really what I do is I use weight loss and, and people who need to lose weight and health and fitness as a way to get people into my world. And then I start to work on that mindset and that human psychology piece. And it all started for me. Like my father was killed when I was five years old. Um, before I was 25, I'd lost my two other fatherly figures. And then when I was 25 years old, my best friend committed suicide. And so I'd say for those 20 years of my life from five to 25, I lived in a lot of chaos, as you can imagine. Yeah. Like I just, I had a lot of pain. I had a lot of fear. I had a lot of trauma. And it wasn't until I started healing myself that I was able to see the outside world in a different facet and, and from a different perspective. And so I kind of just took all of that and then my love for health and fitness and my love for helping people and I've just kind of married it all together. And, you know, that's kind of how we are where we are today. Yeah. Wow. What an adversity you had to go through at early age and, you know, figure out the way to truly connect to your to yourself. Right. And what I'm hearing you say, really, the through line here is like you've connected to this deep passion of supporting people, caring for people and giving them the care that maybe you didn't have at the very get go of your life. Is totally. that is that fair to yeah. say? Uh, way, way more than fair. That's that's pretty spot on. That's that's definitely accurate. And, and I think I, I wasn't even available to have that care. I was so I was in such a a traumatic, painful place that I didn't even know how to receive um, someone helping me. You know what I mean? Because I wasn't open mm. to it because I was in so much fear of loss and, and I had experienced so much pain and I had, I had contrived these beliefs that bad things just happened to me and that I was destined for this life of of chaos and this life of overwhelm and this life of, of not having the things that other people had because I was somehow mm. cursed and it wasn't until I started, you know, not believing my own BS and the own stories that I created 
that I started to transform. And for I always, I always use the analogy that for a lot of my life, from from, five, from until I was 25, I let a five-year-old make decisions for me. And that was at mm. the age of 15, 18, 20, 24. And there was a five-year-old driving the bus. And that's Let's never a good idea. Let's unpack that one, Jay. I, I love <laughs> it because that is so true for, I think, all of us humans is if there's something that got stuck in the formative years or in the first even 14 years, you know, as we're kind of to go into this transition of teenage time and then also becoming an adult, you know, there's there's reasons why these these cycles exist, right? And we've talked about this on the podcast before from Rudolf Steiner, who shared lots about that to brain uh, science, you know, about brain waves that our brain goes through as we go from zero to seven and from seven to 14. But when something gets stuck and most of us have an experience like this, we then keep making the same behavioral choices based on you know the trauma we've experienced and so what's your what's your take on like how does anybody you know kind of unshake that and and move move their way out of it and ultimately use discomfort or the uncomfortable in our own favor to say yep life is not only um you know not only sunny so here's something i i I can learn or here's something i can do different Yeah, absolutely. You know, I I think first and foremost, there's, there's gotta be a, you know, array of awareness, right? You've got to, you've got to be able to have that conversation with yourself that, that you're in a place that you don't necessarily desire to be in. And so for me, the catalyst was whenever my best friend committed suicide at 25, it was almost like it was one of the, the worst and best days of my life. And I know that sounds crazy, but it was a day that almost like a light got flipped on for me. And I, it gave me a, a new awareness about my own life and about the, the fragility of it and about the preciousness of it and about the opportunity that I had to rewrite it or to not necessarily rewrite the past, but to, to write a future that, that I didn't, for a lot of my life, believe was possible for me. So I just started thinking differently from a very minute micro perspective And this was back whenever, you know, like now you can kind of fall down and land on a personal development book or seminar or coach or whatnot. This was back whenever this wasn't around. I mean, you know, Jim Rohn was around and Tony Robbins and there was some books, but you actually had to get in your car and drive to Barnes and Noble. There was no click a button in the bookshelf at your house. So I remember just like, like thinking that I knew something had to change and I wasn't certain what the first step was going to be. And so I, I got a Dr. Wayne Dreyer book and, and he talked a lot in that book about your thoughts, right? Thoughts become things. And so I said, okay, well, the, the simplest thing I can do is I can start to reframe some of these negative thoughts that I'm having, that I'm, that I'm destined for failure, that I'm destined for pain, that, that I'm unlovable because if you love me, you'll somehow die, right? And, and I know why I created totally. that. I mean, the five-year-old, I didn't have any recall. Like I didn't know how to, I didn't know what to base death on. Like, you know, I, I, I'm five. It's like, and you know, I'm, I was very uncertain. And so I created a story for, for the first you know, quarter of my life from the perspective of a five-year-old. And I don't think any of us would, would sign up for that and say, hey, let's let your five-year-old self dictate your 50-year-old behavior. It's completely insane, but we get caught in these patterns and we get caught in these belief systems and one of my one of my one of my current belief systems is just because I believe it doesn't mean it's true, or just because I think it doesn't mean it's true, and so I've gotten really good 
through the use of that trauma. That's why I wrote the book, The Purpose of Pain, because I believe that there was a reason for me to go through all of that. And it wasn't just to suffer. Like, I don't believe humans are born to suffer. I believe that sometimes there's suffering in the journey. But if we can learn how to use that suffering or that adversity or that challenge as a catalyst, and, and the way that I looked at it was that all that suffering or all the challenges were, were simply unanswered questions. So I just started asking better questions and I started asking better yeah. questions of myself. And that's really what got me to, to, to move to the next phase was asking and getting different answers. When we take that from the, you know, the micro picture of the, the person that you are, you know, the, the person that let's say I am or the person that, you know, the person that's listening, um, but we take it to the macro and say all of us, do you think it's kind of the same process? Like in order for humanity to learn from its past mistakes, we got to actually start asking better questions? Totally. I couldn't, I couldn't agree more. I think it's the, you know, I always tell people like, you know, the title of the book is The Overweight Mind, the, you know, the untold truths about yeah. why you can't lose weight. You could completely remove the weight loss portion from the book and it would be relevant to just decision-making on how we think and how we speak and how we act. I think we've got to start asking ourselves from a, from a, like you said, from a human perspective, better questions and not just better questions of other people. I think a lot of times we think, oh, well, I'm going to ask this person a question because I want that answer. It's like, mm -hmm. I think it starts with us. I think first and foremost, you've got to start asking yourself better questions. Like, hey, Jay, why do I, why do you believe what you believe? Like, why do you believe that that particular principle to be true? What, what, what's it based on? How did you come up with that? Is it your, I'm also a big believer that a lot of our beliefs aren't even our own. They've yeah. been programmed into us and, and we continue to perpetrate those beliefs, even though small part portions of us are like, I don't even know if I really believe this, but I've been told this for so long that how do I not, how do I, how do I go against that? And so I've kind of reframed my entire life and said, I'm going to live my life based on new definitions that, that weren't given to me by society or scholastically or by a, you know, by my parents or by any of that. And I'm going to really start asking myself better questions so that I can ask better questions of the world and, and, and be a better active member of, of said world. I love where you just went with this. And I really, you know, I really agree with you that many of us and, you know, even more of us at, at points in the past have simply repeated beliefs or repeated thoughts that then turn into beliefs that we were programmed with. And you mentioned, you know, the school system there for a second. Yeah. So I'm curious, uh, Jay, you know, as we're, as we're hanging out in that corner, if you were single handedly to change the whole education system, you know, you could bring on board any of your favorite mentors or allies yeah. or, you know, um, co-superstars, what would you change and how would it look so that humans are actually set up to thrive? Yeah, that is a, that is a massive question. It's an awesome question. And I think, you know, that could really, that, Talk that could be really, good questions. Yeah. That could be a really, yeah. I mean, that's a transformative thought process. And I, I think I would start from that word thought. I don't think we're, we're not taught how to think we're taught how to be told something and then regurgitate what we're told. And we're, and we're almost told not to push back on that, like not to ask questions with, in regard to that. We're taught to sit in straight lines, raise our hand, 
when the bell rings, you get up. When the bell rings, you better be sitting down. This, you know what I mean? It's very utilitarian in its approach. 100%. And then we get out of school and we get out on our own and it's like, whoa, like I, I have to make decisions now? And we've never been taught how to think. We've never been taught how to make a decision. And so yeah. I, would start, I would start primarily with, listen, like, I wouldn't I wouldn't get rid of math and I wouldn't get rid of, you know, science and all those things. I think there's some some relevance to those, but I would I'd encourage a different level of thinking behind those, right? Like a different level of like, how is this usable for me to be a highly functioning human being that can actually make an impact on the world? If you think about most people that we know like from like a societal perspective that have made massive impacts. A lot of them have been rebels when it comes to the educational system. A lot of them have kind of like said, you know, hey, this is not for me. Like this is, there's no way I'm sitting in this class, in this row, raising my hand. And they've gone on to make, I'll say changes in the world. I won't, I won't say all of them have changed the world, but they've made massive, they've made massive production standpoints in the world that everybody knows about. And I think there's something to be said for that, right? Yeah, I believe so. I think there is something to be said about being able to learn what's there to learn, but then also trusting your own internal process of being skeptic, right? Um, I believe the fifth agreement in the book, the four agreements that that one was was uh, you know amended to be the five agreements is um, be skeptical but learn to listen, right? Huh. So as long as we have the ability to listen long and we are deeply listening i think skepticism is still a very valuable tool and you know skepticism just for the sake of being cynical or skeptical that's a different thing it's about the learning right. to listen with it but when i you know when it comes to the school system i think many people that have been on the show and uh, many people that are listening to the show know that the school system the way it is currently happening is a, an indoctrination system for us to be you know production factors in an industrial revolution and that time yeah. is long over so like in the here and now in the today how do we actually foster curiosity and set each other up for thrival set each other up for asking great questions for pursuing the answers to those questions and you know it's a delicious process i believe and one huh. by one people are onboarding under that process I think it's fascinating. I always, I have a, I have a fictitious child. I, I have, his name is Thor because um, I don't actually have kids, but I always, yeah. I always reference Thor and I, I always, you know, Lori is my significant other. And I'm always like, I don't know if, if other kids would like Thor. And she's like, why? And I'm like, <laughs> because we would teach him so differently. Like I would teach him to be inquisitive. I would teach him to, to want to know more about something rather than just taking it for, face value. You know, I, I often think about this. You, this has hit my brain. You said, what's one thing I would change? And this is, this is not a, this is not a, an attack or a, or a, or anything against anybody who is, is a teacher, but oftentimes I'll use business as an example. Like if you go to, to college and you get a business degree, oftentimes the, the professor teaching you about business has actually never been in business has never owned a business, has never Great run example. a business, has never created a business, has never failed at a business, has yeah. never succeeded at a business, like doesn't know anything other than a academic textbook approach to a business. And from where I sit, and again, at almost 50, that's not someone that I would seek advice from. 
Yeah, not at all. Right. In, in any facet, I, from nutrition to finances to relationships to, the, to everything, right? It's like I look for people who have a vast amount of knowledge. And, and I'm not just saying. leadership, yeah. Yes. And so I think that's a missing link in our educational system is that we're being educated by very intelligent people. But I think real world application is is a, is a mandatory, at least for me, from where I sit, from what I want to learn from. Yeah, man. And today it's all about the answers you're giving. So I'm, I'm grateful that you went there. I'm curious about how you would define purpose and, you know, yeah. and maybe if you can elaborate a, a little bit around it, like yeah. what is purpose and why does it actually matter that we connect to ideas and terms like that? I think purpose is a is a is a big it's a big word and i think if when you when you define it based on your own terms then it can really have relevance to you i think it, you know if we just throw that out there and say hey you know what's your purpose like or what's the purpose of this i think oftentimes we will look for like a like a webster's dictionary version of like right. well this is what being in purpose means for me it means it's got so many other like little words that go inside of it. Like when I think of my purpose, I think of creating a world that is so full of like abundance and so full of mm. just experiential feelings and frequencies and things of that nature that help other people live in that same vein. And that's a little like metaphysical woo wooey and not really like a, you know, a, a the standard dictionary version of what somebody would give. But for me, it's like I knew I hit my purpose whenever I was able to take all of that past trauma and pain mm -hmm. and no longer allow it to have any kind of like negative control over me. It actually became something that I was that I used in a very purposeful, powerful way to make me better. It made me happier. It made me a better human. It made me all of these things. And people will always say to me when I, when I tell that, that version of the story and I try to go through it really quick because I don't want to settle in that. And cause a lot of people want to settle in that space. It's like, I'm so grateful for all of that. And that sounds very, you know, who wants to lose their father at five and grow up without a dad? Well, nobody, but guess no what? Idea. Like that was an opportunity that I got presented to me. And then I got to do something with it. I could have done nothing with it and I could have just allowed it to be the story of my life for the rest of my life. And I could have spread that. But I realized after my, my best friend you know, killed himself that like, there's something more here. And I didn't immediately, you know, it wasn't like this, like, oh my gosh, now I'm like, you know, I'm this philosopher. It was like, I just realized that like the, my past philosophies weren't going to generate a future life for mm. me that was had any kind of purpose behind it at all so it wasn't until i started like looking at all those things and like saying like well this this is just a utilizable piece of my life that i can use to make other people's lives better and i i'm a firm believer that we're not here we're not isolatory creatures right if you look at civilization like every civilization that has had any kind of success has been very connected and and yeah. and, and helped each other and that kind of thing and so I know for me that I'm my very, very best when I'm teaching or mentoring or coaching or, or being a part of something that's way larger than myself. Like I know that's my purpose. 
something that is way larger than ourselves. I, I come back to that often too when I talk about purpose. And you, you mentioned it right at the beginning there. Maybe that is not the Webster's Dictionary you know, definition. Maybe that's a little more fluff to people. But there is a very important piece in, I believe, where we are in our human evolution that we realize our logical brain, our you know, um, logical hemisphere is only one big part of who we are. There's so much actual science about the importance of the heart, the importance of the intuitive abilities of the heart. It's, it's just those that really don't want to look into that direction, I think, that are still stuck in this old way of thinking and being. And so um, daring to go to these places, I think, is a big part of the times we're living in, right? And so um, I love the answer. I'm curious also how you, you know, with so much adversity... Um, how you are consistently choosing optimism because you come across in the conversations we've had so far in this dialogue today as someone who is just by, you know, by the choice of the cards life dealt you, you're going to be choosing optimism and you're going to go for thrival. How does that really happen for you and how can others learn to do the same thing? Yeah, it, that's a, a beautiful question because it 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 is, it's very true. Like I I am, if you're not somebody who wants to, hear the positive of something or, 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 you know, see the bright side of everything. I'm, I'm completely annoying to be around because I've got a, I've trained myself to have an innate ability to reframe virtually anything into an opportunity or into a blessing or into something to be grateful for. And the best way I can describe it is through repetition, right? It was mm. through the understanding of, knowing how I lived the first quarter of my life. And I'll say from, you know, I use those ages from like five to 25 as like, I call that like the first quarter. And I live that in a very negative place. And so I understand fully what it's like to be pessimistic, to be negative, to believe that the sky is falling, to believe that you were born to be tortured and have pain and, and all of these other things. I believe, I, I believed that wholeheartedly. You couldn't have convinced mm -hmm. me any way differently. And then when I started yeah, that sure. transitional shift and, and now as yeah. I've completed the, the, you know, the second half or, or I'm in the process of the second half of my life, it's the complete opposite. And so I think when, when I've got, I know what both feel like, right? It's like, it's like somebody who says, listen, I've been broke and I've been rich and I'm still the same person I was at both, but I can tell you what being rich is a whole lot better because it gives me more access to do things. I've been both. Like I've been on, I've been on both sides of the coin and I can tell you that like, that side never produced anything of value for me. It never produced mm. anything of value for others around me. And so now I've just trained myself. It's like, it's like working out. I've been lifting weights since I was in the sixth grade. Yeah. And people will say, well, oh my gosh, well, you know, how'd you get in such good shape? And I'm like, I started when I was 11 years old. <laughs> so it's like a lot of years, a lot of reps, a lot of time has gone into it. And that's the same way I am with my mindset is like, it is, yeah. it's something I put a lot of time and a lot of reps into. And it's something that I believe is, is one of the core reasons why I view my personal life as a success. Why I, I live, I'm very, I'm free, I'm flexible, I'm happy, mm -hmm. I'm optimistic. I my favorite word is abundance. Like I believe in absolute abundance for everyone. I don't believe there's a cap on that. I don't believe anybody was, was born not to experience it. And, yeah, yeah. you know, I always attach action to that abundance, but it's just one of my core beliefs. And it's, it's served me so well that I can't see any other way. Yeah, I love that. There is no cap on abundance. Time to build systems that reflect that, but I'm totally with you. Um, mm -hmm. yeah, there's, hey, um, 
I'm curious where in the world you've traveled and what your three favorite places ever have been. Yeah. Gosh. Well, I told you before the call, like when I was really little, I lived um, in Norway and um, just outside of London for a little while, but I don't really remember much about that. Um, one of my favorite places, and this is not sexy at all, is Cabo San Lucas, Mexico, because that's where I met my significant other almost 20 years ago. So that place is a really true, um, near and dear to my heart. I've never really traveled much um, outside of the United States with the exception of, of living overseas when I was a really little guy. So for me, it's always kind of been, you know, a little bit of Mexico, a little bit of Canada, um, and then predominantly the United States. Um, Maui is one of my favorite places on the planet. Mm. I think there's like a, there's an energy vortex there for me that I find to be very um, healing and also very um, mind opening. I get some of my best ideas. That's how I, where I created my um, my current business that I have now, Thrive Forever Fit, was, was actually, I want to say, conceptualized and founded um, while I was in Maui. And so it's a really special place for me. Um, Lori and I place try to go inspiration. there. Yeah, we go there once a year. It's kind of like a we call it like a like a planning sabbatical or like a you know an, nice. a new an uncovering sabbatical. We always come up with great ideas and new inspirations. <clears throat> and then I got to um, I got to experience um, Canada a little bit when I went to um, Lake Louise when I was probably maybe like twenty nine thirty years old. I went skiing, mm. coldest place I've ever been in my life. Thought I was going <laughs> to freeze to death. Um, but then more recently, a lot of people um, think of Canada this way, coldest yeah. place they've ever been to. Yep. More recently, um, I was I was a, I'm a Lululemon global ambassador, and so I got mm. to go to Vancouver and experience the entire Lululemon headquarters. But then we went to Whistler, right. and and spent about a week in Whistler, and I thought that was one of the most absolute beautiful places yeah, on the Whistler. planet. Yeah, it's a gorgeous place. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, it's inspiring. You know, sometimes people travel the whole world and then sometimes people stay, let's say, within North America, but it doesn't actually matter because it's not a competition, right? It's more about yeah. which places which places feed you, which places allow you to, you know, meet the people you love, get the inspiration, allow you to... This is something that happens naturally for me in and around Vancouver, um, where I've lived over 10 years of my life now. You know, it's... It's just this natural connection out there. There's just yeah. something. There's something in the water. Something in the mountains. That's just supernatural. Uh, Jay, I want to. I want to go into thinking in decades, not days, here for a minute. You decided you're you're at around about fifty years of age. You know, there's maybe like a halfway mark or something. I, I don't know. We don't need to. Yeah. We don't need to drop in on that specifically. But if <laughs> if you were to if you were to you know think in decades and what's ahead of you. We talked about what's what's been on the journey to get here so far, but what's really what's really in your heart? What's the vision of your heart to build and live and leave behind? Because you know we can't take money with us when we die, right. but what we what we can leave is a graceful footprint on planet Earth. And what's your version of that? Yeah, one of my one of my core values is I, I really have a a burning, I'll call it passion or desires. I want to leave every you know person, place and thing better than I found it. And I know that's a bold statement. Like, you know, it's really kind of cliche if you will, but I'm not the kind of person when I think in decades, like I can't envision myself sitting in a recliner watching television. Like when somebody says retire, like when are you going to retire? It's like, I don't even 
that concept really doesn't set set with me. So I don't really have a definition of that. Mm. I want to, I want to make an impact on people's lives and so that they believe that they are capable of maybe more than they've ever believed they were before. So one of my, Mm. one of the things I always say is, you know, you can be, do and have anything you desire as long as you're willing to take the, the necessary actions in order to make those things come true. And so I want to teach people and and not even really teach them because I think they they know it. It's just the belief system that they have currently doesn't allow them to actually be able to to see that picture. And so Hmm. if you said, Jay, like what's the, the impact of the legacy that you want to leave? I simply want the people that I get the opportunity to impact to understand that again, I'll go back to that word abundance, that there's no, there's no limitation to what it is that they, they can be, they can do, and they can have, if it really is important to them. And I heard a quote yesterday, I was listening to a podcast and the guy said is, is inside of suffering is where most dreams die. And I want to teach people that like, oftentimes what we perceive as suffering it's simply just part of the process. It's not mm. the, it's not this this humongous thing that is so overwhelming. And if we can settle mm. sometimes inside of that, that we'll find the answers to everything that we need to get to the other side. And then we won't have those dreams and goals and ambitions and, and desires kind of still sitting on the mantle when it's all said and done. So I'm really just, I try to like, I got my human design code read one time and, and the first thing that, that the right lady on, said yeah. to me was you were put on this earth to create positive tension in people's lives. And I'd never thought about that before, mm. but that's really what I do is beautiful wording. Positive yeah, I tension. Try, I try to empathetically push people in the direction of where, where I know that they have the capabilities to go. So that positive tension is something I really think about a lot when I'm teaching or coaching or speaking or anything like that. Positive tension to help people expand, right? Expand their beliefs, expand what they thought were true, what they thought the cap on abundance is. That's what thrival really is about, right? Is to, to say yes to the process of life. I think this is something that we often forget, especially in, in, you know, conversations like this where, um, it can sound so easy because it's just someone's recollection or someone's story about how they yeah. got from A to B. But really, I mean, everything you shared, Jay, it's been a journey. It's been a story that you had to live. You had to feel those emotions, right? And um, going through that and being fully committed, I, I loved what you said earlier about you know being in good shape or having this mental um, anti-fragility, right? Like this, this mind state of... You know, not everything is always easy, but I'm going to sure choose to focus on the gratitude and focus on the, you know, so alegria, which is something I've learned in Brazil, like that happiness is a choice, you know, and, and I think being on the journey, it's been said many, many times on this planet, but truly being on the journey rather than obsessing over the destination is a massive piece to prolonged happiness to, you know, reaching the desired outcomes we have, the dreams we have. 
Um, thank you for spreading your wisdom. I'd love to hear now that we were thinking in decades. Um, I have a closing question for you, and that's like, what's your dream for planet Earth? You know, at some point we will be history. Um, this is going to broadcast forever into the ether of yeah. the internet, and um, you know, seven generations into the future, at some point people will look back at this time, and here we are having this conversation. What's your your vision, your hope, your dream that you're casting for the seven generations into the future? Gosh, so many ways that I would love to, so many ways that I'm, my brain is like, it wants to answer that question and then it's going to come out in a jumbled mess. So I'm going to do my best to articulate it. I really have a, I really have a, a, a massive positive hope that mm. collectively, here's what, here's what I think we are. I think right now we are, we're, we're desiring other people to make different decisions that somehow make our lives better. Hmm. I've I've developed a belief system that I don't care what the I'm going to use the word authority um, is is proclaiming or prescribing or any hmm. of that nature. That I create my own economy. I create my own governance, and with with the with the caveats of do no harm. Right. Like I yeah, believe that we are all such beautiful creatures with with an unbelievable ability to hmm. to do the right thing, to to make better decisions. And I think if a lot of times it goes back to what I talked about earlier. If we just started asking ourselves better questions, it's like Yeah. Why do I think that, right? Like why would I ever want and I've always I don't know if I was I don't know if I was born this way. I don't know if it was because of of traumas that, that I experienced mm. that, that made me believe these things. I have never been someone who looked at or, or thought about in a negative fashion, another person based on their, their, where they're from, what color they were, their gender, any of those things. Like I've never had that. I've never had hate inside of me for any realm or any, any thought process. And so I just believe that we could all get to that level where like as long as we're doing no harm to each other, I believe we need to give each other a little more grace and space and 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 just yeah. credence to to live the life that we believe is the right life for us. Right? I never want to impede on someone's ability to create their own happiness. Right? With the caveat of like listen, as long as you're not hurting somebody else, like I'm game. Like let's I'll help you. Like I may not even, I may not even know anything about it, but I'll let me be a part of it. I'll figure, you know, if I get, if I have a resource that you can use and if I am that resource, then I'd, I'd love to be, be part of that for you. So I don't know, man, I, it's such a big, bold question that I think what you said about happiness being a choice, I think that right now, a lot of humans are really overwhelmed with, mm. with the chaos that gets programmed to them. So I've got, I've got a simple system on how I look at life. So I audit all of my inputs and I either implement it immediately or I delete it. I don't have a, there's no holding place. Mm. And that doesn't mean that everything I delete wasn't usable. It just means it wasn't right for me at that particular time. Exactly. And, if, and, my, and my theory is if it's right for me, it will represent itself. But that but gets I, you yeah. from the head to action. Yeah, than I don't keeping spend a, a lot storage of, of all the possibilities. I don't spend any time in that because I've realized that like yeah. that's where people I call it the, the vortex. Most people get stuck in the vortex because 
everything that that is presented to them, they either implement it or they try to hold on to it and save it. You know, it's like it's a whole filing cabinet of Tupperware dishes of things that aren't usable in, in the current. So I've just developed a system for myself of implementation or deletion. And that has really made it simple for me to make decisions. And then I've got um, three core values that I live by. And I plug every every question that I get, I plug into those core values. And it generates the answer for me that I don't even have to, I don't have to think about. As long as it doesn't violate one of my three core values, then it's a good. I love it. There's a... That's a beautiful answer to that question. And I like that you went for the, the longer answer. You're like, you know, you're like, wait a second, deep breath. Here's more. Yeah, um, it's good. It's yeah. big. Like, that's a big question. It's big. <laughs> no, and this is the point of the question exactly is to allow each other also that space to, you, you know, think this big, play this big, take, take the in-breath and the out-breath and realize, no, this is what's actually coming straight from my heart and from my soul. Guys, go get the, the books that Jay wrote. Um, learn more about his story. Learn more about his work. I'm going to make sure to link it all out. If you have anything else you want to share, closing, a closing remark, this is the moment. Man, I just, I appreciate you for having me on. I love, I always, you know, I tell Lori, I was like, I love to have beautiful conversations and talk mm -hmm. about deep things and, and you know, get out of the surface, right? Like you can either, yeah. you can either snorkel or you can scuba dive like with, with connection. And I'm, I really like to, to scuba <laughs> dive. I want to get down there and like learn about people. And, and I agree with you. I'm going to take it back and end it with what you said is happiness is a choice. And I think if we'll all start making that choice and then answering questions around that, I think we're going to all, we can all get to a better place of just treating each other with a little more love and respect and just honoring each individual person's journey and their ability to, to live a life of abundance and not put caps on other people. Brilliant. Thank you so much, Jay. Thanks for being on the podcast. Thank you, Matt.